0: Hello, everybody. This is my Seattle mixtape, the podcast where we talk about albums from the '80s and '90s from the Seattle music scene. We pick a song off that album and we put it on our very own mixtape. I'm Zachary Johnston. I am David Gordon. And this week we have a very special guest. She's the editorial director of Uprock's Music, Caitlin White. Hello, Caitlin.
1: Hi. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being here, yeah, and welcome to the podcast. Yeah, and you're on the first episode of 2018. Oh, wow. Which is. Amazing.
2: We're in the future now, <laughs>
0: yeah. and it's probably one of the biggest albums we're talking about of this season of my Seattle mixtape. We're talking about Nevermind from Nirvana.
2: One of the biggest albums of all time. Let's be real. I mean, it's not just yeah. a, of the podcast or of Seattle music. One of the biggest of all time. Yes,
0: but I'm thinking about our podcast david Okay, fine. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm thinking <laughs> of the bigger picture here. You know, <laughs> let's. Start off by asking our guests. So, uh, Caitlin, can you tell us how you first came to this album and your uh, experiences with it?
1: Yeah. Well, so this album came out when I was three years old. Sorry, guys, to <laughs> throw that out there from the beginning. But I mean, I grew up in a suburb of Portland in the Northwest, and to me, this was just sort of what rock music sounded like like it was just everywhere like i remember these songs you know in bloom come as you are even smells like teen spirit like they were just so it was just so immersive that it actually took me a while to go and seek out the album and listen to it as an album because i had just sort of it was just sort of in the air if you Mm -hmm. grew up in the northwest in the early 90s even i think even into the early 2000s like it was just everywhere to the point that like it almost felt like you're gonna kill me like i didn't want to like it because everyone liked it everyone liked it so i thought
0: totally get that you
1: know the punk move was to be like fuck nirvana or whatever oh i didn't check if i could curse sorry you're fine um,
2: (laughs) zach and i don't curse ever on this so
1: yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i don't think that it necessarily felt that way in the rest of the world and I certainly didn't have like a ton of background in like what punk and what rock was and what those arguments were that were happening. Hmm. But as a child I remember loving these songs because the melodies are so catchy. Like say yeah. what you will, these melodies stick in your head like pop songs do. Absolutely. And like I knew that there was like sad feelings about it. I I knew a lot about like the surrounding ideas of what other people thought about this album long before i ever went to listen to it myself and i think when i did i was a little bit surprised at some of the other songs that maybe hadn't made it out into the world because they weren't big singles like lounge act or you know something in the way those those -hmm. ones that are obviously like still really important and i'm probably more drawn to them because Those were sort of the ones that I discovered for myself.
0: Yeah, I actually had a similar experience. I was just re-listening to this this week leading up, and I really love the back half of this album, mm-hmm. just like that, where he's like, oh shit, this is actually, it's a well-rounded album that goes a lot of different places than mm-hmm. just the pop singles yeah. that were released. And so mm-hmm. I'm totally on board with what you're saying there.
2: Yeah, I can very much empathize with all of the stuff. I think you're a little bit younger than Zach and I are. Um, (laughs) And so Zach was a teenager. I was not quite a teenager when this came out, but spent a lot of my teenage years listening to this. And then I really fell out of love with Nevermind and with Nirvana in general because of some of the kind of stuff that you said earlier, Caitlin, about it's just everywhere and it's kind of like automatic rock background noise and everybody seemed to like it and my attitude was well if they like it well then you know fuck them i don't like them so i don't like what they listen to but i had loved it when i first heard it but then it just smells like teen spirit in particular i don't know if i can really listen to that like ever again and enjoy (laughs) it for the amazing amazing rock song that it is and all of the Kurt Loder MTV news about how important and the voice of a generation and transformed MTV, blah, blah, blah. I just can't listen to that ever again. Like, I'm not going to, like, start screaming if it comes on or insist that someone turns it off or anything, but I'm not going to sit down and go, you know what, I'm going to listen to Smells Like Teen Spirit now. That's not the case for other songs on the record. Like, as Caitlin said already, that didn't get, that certainly got airplay, but didn't get the same like insane level of airplay that that teen spirit yeah,
0: does, yeah. I'm I feel old now. I'm like, so gather <laughs> around, children, I shall tell you the tales of MTV in its glory <laughs> I mean, this days. This is and classic
2: rock now because you were yeah, talking literally. about you were back in Washington over the yeah. Christmas holidays and they were playing this on the classic rock
0: station <laughs> 100%. Were and um, like the station I used to listen to. That was playing Zeppelin and Sabbath. Dad rock. Now it's playing the songs that were like seminal for me. Now you're the dad. Yeah. But when this came out, it was like a bulldozer. Yeah. Especially if you were from Seattle or the Pacific Northwest in general, because there was a local band blew up the scene. Obviously there were local bands on the radio before this, especially Alice and Soundgarden. Yeah. Who were already 100% there. You know, Mother Love Bone already happened, but this is when it became unavoidable yeah and it's funny for me because i'm different than you guys because i got this way with pearl jam where i just, with 10 especially i was like if i hear that album again mm. i might throw myself off a building <laughs> i don't know how that happened or why 10 and not Nevermind hit that way for me maybe it's my sort of eddie vetter uncomfortableness It's <clears throat> <That's> weird <laughs> it's weird it's just this thing where this album actually never wore out for me and still kind of hasn't because i still whenever i put this album on It's got the most amazing intro because it smells like teen spirit first. And that comes on as just this kind of gut punch, but also hug at the same time.
2: I'd skip to track two if I was to (laughs) to listen to this. Yeah, it does sound amazing all the way through. And like back to what you were saying about it being like a big deal for the Pacific Northwest. I'm sure all the other bands and all the other people in the scene, like, you know, the Jack and Dinos and all those, it must have blown their minds when this got as insanely
0: popular as it did. Uh, Caitlin, did your parents listen to this music?
1: I could never really get a read on what they thought about. I think they were sort of of the mind, like I said, like a, that it was a little bit oversaturated, but they certainly right. weren't against it.
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, my dad was a record collector when I was growing up, and, and he nice. kind of stopped as, as there was... Eventually, there was four of us. I was the second child that was born. So I think he started just like selling the records off as more kids,
2: <laughs> more mouths to feed. The
1: so he definitely had like a an avid interest in this kind of stuff. But I mean, we were raised pretty conservative and Christian. So I knew that the fact that he had committed suicide was a big deal. But I think there was just more of a sense of sadness about it. So they must've liked it a little bit. It it was almost like it was so obvious that we didn't even talk about it. Like that's Mm -hmm. still how I sort of feel about it, which was why when I finally listened to it by myself, I was like, wow, we should have talked about this more. Like people should talk about the rest of this album more. I think there's so many times, especially as I work in music and I see this happen and I have to pay attention to it where a band or an album gets super, super hyped And I just feel like it doesn't really hold up or it doesn't really deserve it. Sometimes people Mm -hmm. will get so much attention. I'm like, eh, Mm -hmm. I see why they're catching on in this moment, but I'm not sure if the music itself lives up. And like, if you go back on this record, I think it totally lives up. Like it is a, fabulous rock record It is a fabulous pop record in some senses it is Mm -hmm. you know the lyrics are like deeply moving and totally ambiguous and i think that's something that he often complained about was like i'm a songwriter let them just be songs they're not Mm -hmm. necessarily diary and that was one of the first times i think that a songwriter i mean it was sort of when media was becoming so much more pervasive but Mm -hmm. a songwriter pushing back like no these are just my songs like let them be songs. And yeah. I thought that was an interesting thing about him too.
0: Yeah. I think one of his quotes was like people trying to listen to his lyrics And make them into a Freudian psyche. Yeah. And they're not even uh, like looking at the lyrics correctly. Yeah, they haven't transcribed the lyrics correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And plus there's like loads of, as the many millions of times that I've listened to this, there's still half of the songs, I don't know what he's saying. (laughs) I think I know all the lyrics, it smells like teen spirit, but like there's other ones where like, ah, he says something there. I don't know what it is.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, I think, uh, Chris Cornell said it best when he was asked about Black Hole Sun. He's like. I don't know, man, this words just sounded cool next to each other.
2: Yeah, this is a great kind of school and it goes back even, you know, to Bowie and earlier of just kind of throw stuff together that sounds good, does it yeah. really matter if it, you know.
0: Let's uh, get some history down. So, Dave, can you walk us through when this came out, then we'll start listening to some music. Yeah,
2: so it was released on September twenty fourth, 1991. They had wanted to record with Butch Vig already and you know, who had done stuff with Pumpkins and various other people in in the scene, but, like, wasn't this big FM radio producer. Like, he had a name, but only to, I think, people who who knew. But so, interestingly, when Chad Channing was still the drummer in the band, they went and recorded with Butch Vig uh, and recorded most of what became Nevermind, but they didn't finish the record. Uh, Butch Vig says that Kurt's, voice kind of blew out through the recording session and this was in wisconsin which is where uh butch butch vig was from and based and then they kind of he said that he just didn't hear from them for like six seven months and thought well it's, that's the end of that then and then they got a call and said yeah we're now not on subpop anymore and at this point it was going to be a Sub Pop record mm-hmm. cheap and so then all of a sudden chad channing was out this uh, guy that no one had heard of called Dave Grohl was in and they wanted to record in Los Angeles. And so they got Butch back in. They had, a, I think, an advance from this label of $60,000 to go and record this, which like nowadays seems like small change to record such like an iconic album. Yeah. And so they went to this classic studio in Van Nuys in, in the Valley in L.A. and, and recorded this in, in 16 days. So that was in like spring, early summer of 1991, released in September, but it wasn't really until January of 92 that it kind of, uh, it yeah. blasted.
0: And this was always blows my mind, is it beat out Michael Jackson's Black and White mm. and Garth Brooks' yeah. The River, I think. Yeah. You listen to those songs now and they feel so dated comparatively. And it's also just to think like Garth Brooks and Michael Jackson at kind of almost the height of their powers. Yeah beat by this they were beat by this
2: know. I don't know that guy uh. can still like draw well, we a quarter know. of a million people to a concert
0: true
1: something was shifting in the culture like yeah. there had not been I mean well first Michael Jackson was pretty much the first black pop star so that was huge in itself so that's uniting a pop audience that wasn't necessarily united before. And then you have all the conservative, older, southern people that love Garth, who also, you know, was pop, but that's the core of his base. And then based on those two demos, just thinking of who is listening to Nirvana, it's like that fan base was just electrified in like a way that they hadn't been, I mean, possibly ever at that level. Well, I don't know, it it does feel like sort of like it was a new generation coming in.
2: It does. Or almost, that there was like a generation of people waiting for someone to, to speak to them yeah. in a the way that
0: nevermind did, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, the only thing I can think of, like of that big, a mainstream and that big of outside of norm is someone like Bowie in the late sixties, early seventies hmm. who had the pop sensibility and he had the rock sensibility, but his entire persona was so outside of the norm of, you know, the machismo rock of Zeppelin and the, yeah. coming off the hippie rock of the Beatles and things like that. Yeah. Um, so the shift, so so to speak, into the 70s, um, I, that's obviously all just off off the cuff hyperboil. So yeah, this album blew up in January of 92, yeah. and then it blew up the scene in Seattle to the point where so many people are getting signed and suddenly, you know, old uh, catalogs from Temple of the Dog and the Soundgarden. Everything's and getting re-released. And getting re-released, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and
2: then Nirvana went from like a, you know, playing little small clubs to, in that year, 1992, to being a headline act at Reading, uh, one of the biggest festivals in the world. And it's an insane short period of time to go from a very niche underground band to the biggest band yeah. in the world.
0: Well, that's what I think is sort of interesting. Uh, I think one of the million Dave Grohl interviews when he's talking <laughs> about this, when they started that European tour and sort of, I think, November of 92 to go support the album. And, you know, they were just playing in clubs and it was sort of just normal, you know, two, 300 people or 500 people, maybe a thousand people max. Mm. And as like it went on, suddenly everything was overbooked and they were packing them in and there was like, what's going on? Yeah. And they got a call from somebody in the States. It was like, yeah, you blowing up over here. And they're like, really? <laughs> and they came back superstars. They left kind of, you know, just a little bar band and they came yeah. back superstars, which I don't know how you deal with that mentally yeah well we all know how one of them dealt with yeah well, uh, well yeah i mean if you want to be modeling about it <laughs> um, um, can we have a can we have an episode where we don't talk about Kurt Cobain killing himself is that possible well yeah i mean you can't <laughs> right? well, whatever let's listen to some of this record yeah caitlin why don't you pick a song for us to listen to that uh, you're not gonna pick for the mixtape
1: okay um i would pick how about polly
0: nice, nice. cool polly everybody
3: a cracker think i should get off her first think she wants some water to put out the blowtorch isn't me having seed let me clip dirty wings let me take a ride cut yourself wants a man
0: holly (laughs) so i love this song i mean it's so dark though
2: yeah this is a song that's left over from the first session in wisconsin and this actually has chad channing on drums and so this wasn't recorded in van nuys
1: i think it does feel a little bit different than some of the other songs here yeah you can kind of tell it's from an earlier iteration
0: it's interesting i mean it's a simpler song as well just at the end of the day you know, like if you look at the guitar yeah. riff, I mean the guitar riff, the guitar period. Yeah. And the whole thing, I mean, it's very much hyper-focused on Kurt and his talents.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is a thing, I guess, that Butch Vig kind of set out to do, or what I, I gather he set out to do was to put Kurt a bit more front and center that than he was on bleach And some of the way he did that was with double tracking pretty much all of Kurt's vocals so it's like kurt has is recorded singing the song twice and it's overlaid with each other and so nearly every song even on the verses like this is a common thing obviously to do on choruses and uh, to give a big sound for the chorus but uh, that gives it this ethereal quality in the
0: vocal takes throughout and i love the way bruce vick says he convinced kurt to allow him to do that he's like well john lennon used to do it right and kurt was like oh okay then. <laughs> yeah yeah
1: I like this one because I think that it's the type of song that people would want to read a lot of Freudian mm-hmm. stuff into. But on some other level, it's just a bunch of phrases put together, you yeah. know.
2: It's also, though, it's one of the only ones that I've been able to gleam that there's any kind of story about what the song's about. And apparently, I mean, it has a, it does have a pretty dark not to take things back to a dark place, but it's based on an article that apparently Kurt read in the newspaper about somebody being raped and kidnapped, um, but then he wrote the story from the perspective of the of the rapist. So, so the myth say, goes. It's not even so the myth. I mean, this is what Chris Novoselic and what uh, Dave Grohl say in interviews
0: right. afterwards. So. Right. Yeah, but um, there's myth making there too. Th- yeah, of course
2: there is, but it's like it's one of the few songs. Like I don't know any other uh, like lyrical insights into anything else on the very album. True. yeah
0: very very true yeah i think there is a like this is one thing i noticed about this album is it's a great album for covers there's amazing covers <laughs> of some of these songs and i think there's a cover out there of um kathleen hanna covering polly mm-hmm. and it's just heartbreakingly gorgeous
1: i think there's a couple of feminist covers of rape me as well and it's like it is a super dark subject matter but like just the fact that he was like okay i'm going to write about that like Making it something that was part of the pop culture idiom, you know, like, no one was doing like, you know, it was rebellious in that sense, too. And I think as a woman, like, obviously, people debate this back and forth, but it's almost comforting to have it be like, yeah, this is like, so many of my friends have gone through stuff like this. And just to have there be a song that's about it. In a way, is helpful. I mean, a lot of women disagree. Some think that it's horrible to, it's trivialized, blah blah blah. But to me, I always was like, I like that someone's going there. You know, like this happens. Yeah, yeah. And if anyone's gonna go there, it's correct.
2: sure. And I mean, it's not trivialized. I mean, it there's pain and there's in in his voice, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's there's serious intent behind it. They're trying to make art, and I do, I do also don't think that it's you know they're not selling it as this is our rape song to try and get on the cover <laughs> of magazines or anything. Oh, you know, no. it was never about that. So no. yeah, I think there's, you know, it, legitimate
0: yeah. kind of, uh, intent behind it. You know, this is just my opinion, but it always felt like handing over a bullhorn to people who wanted to talk about it in an open environment and find a commonality. That is what it is, I guess. I know he's not here to ask, so let's listen to another song. I would love to listen to Lithium. Great yeah Sounds okay with you Caitlin sound oh, good oh
1: yes I almost chose lithium but I couldn't remember if someone else had put that on their mix <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice okay
3: I'm so happy cause today from my friends in my head I'm so ugly that's okay because so Found God yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean that's literally a song I can sing every word to back and front I for still, 20 still years still don't know all the lyrics <laughs> <laughs> something about being horny like, shave my head I'm light okay. my candle
1: <laughs> it's a perfect rock song yeah it's a perfect rock song that I mean that, this one especially is the one that was just like I know this can't be true, but it feels like I heard it every day. It feels like it was always everywhere.
0: Yeah. There's this funny conversation I had way back in the day about how um, Kurt should be a cult leader. And we'd always talk about lithium as his sort of like sermon about just being like, hey, it's okay, man. (laughs) Shave your head. It's okay. And you're like, yeah, I'll shave my head. It's going to be okay. And then um, Polyphonic Spree did a cover of this. And I mean, it's, polyphonic spree so it's kind of cultish anyway and it just works exactly and it's sort of like hmm maybe that was i, I don't know what to think now um,
2: this was one because so i first had Nevermind on on cassette tape and i think i actually listen to this now uh, i think lithium was my favorite track back in the day and i would rewind the tape and listen to lithium rewind the tape listen to lithium and there is i I'd no idea what it's about there's all kinds of imagery packed in there that we said already, but just the fact that it has horny in a a song, you know, that's getting played on the radio as a teenager, you have to love that. And then this meltdown end chorus with the I like it, I'm not going to crack or I like it, I'm not coming back or whatever. It's awesome. Every song on this record has iconic... Nirvana, but yes, also iconic Nevermind stuff. And like whatever Butch Vig did, there's a t- kind of total clarity throughout that you're like, you-, you could listen to any second of this and you go, oh yeah, it's Nirvana's Nevermind. Like down to the double tracking or like quite simple guitar setups that they had. And yeah, and Dave Grohl's pounding uh, of the drums. You were
0: know, like, uh, who's that again? Uh, I mean, <laughs>
2: a, a, a star is born, like, you know, really big time on this record. yeah.
1: I remember listening to it and the part where he goes cuz I found God. Like I I told you I was raised very yeah. Christian. But I remember like thinking like, "Oh, I think he's making fun of it." <laughs> like <laughs> knowing that he wasn't like totally on my family's same page and like being a little bit drawn to that, you know, someone talking about God but maybe maybe poking a little fun.
2: Yeah, and Sunday like, mornings every day for all I care. Right. Great, great song. Which, as I was being dragged out of bed to go to eleven thirty mass on a Sunday, you know, good Irish boy, sing that under my breath
0: in the car, (laughs) trying to slip the tape into the uh, the deck on the way.
2: That didn't happen.
0: (laughs) Too far to reach from
2: the back seat, you know.
0: (laughs) What you doing, David? (laughs) Let's. I think because we could listen to every song on this album. To be completely honest, yeah, let's do that then. Let's listen to every song. Yeah, let's just listen through it, and uh, you guys take a break. Now let's jump into what we want to put on because I feel like there's going to be some contention here uh given that we've all picked i believe three very powerful important songs yeah i think maybe if you're okay with this caitlin i'm gonna hand it over to dave to do our first pick
2: yikes this is oh you're totally playing me (laughs) because caitlin i don't know if you've listened to any of the previous episodes you probably haven't because you've better things to do but (laughs) zach realized when we did the last one that I had been waiting to announce what my pick was until he had and if we had a guest until the guest had as a kind of a, you know, recency bias and that they would just maybe pick that one because it was the last one that we (laughs) mentioned. So now he's forcing me to go first uh, in a very dramatic uh, turn of events. For me, there's not going to be any contention because I would be uh, delighted to have anything off this album on the mixtape except for Smells Like Teen Spirit. Um, I just think it's out there enough. You're and giving
1: like, that song a short shrift, man. It's not the song's fault that it became insanely popular.
2: I know that. I agree with you in that regard. But um, I just can't listen to it anymore.
0: Liar. So, like you know, I guarantee you, like a week from now, I'm gonna walk into your shop, and that (laughs) song's gonna be playing. You're gonna be like, "Yeah, I got into it again, man."
2: (laughs) I am going to nominate something in the way, which is the last song on the album, Uh, second to last. Okay, yeah, it's not the it's not the noise out, endless, nameless. Uh, which you have to wait for 10 minutes of silence and then scares the shit out of you when it comes on because <laughs> you forgot that the record was still playing and you went off to do something else. Uh, or you fell asleep and it woke you up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so thanks for that, Nirvana. No, so this is one I kind of like the story behind it. It was meant to have a big band sound like most of the rest of the stuff on the album, and they just couldn't quite get it right. Um, and they had been struggling to record even though they recorded the whole album pretty quickly. And apparently, according to Butch Vig he said to Kurt why don't you just like just just tell me how you visualise it and Kurt was actually like lying down on a sofa on his back and he starts playing very lightly like barely touching his acoustic guitar and barely singing and uh, as you know the song it's so quiet when it's quiet well let's have
0: a listen and you can uh, have your closing argument
3: Underneath the bridge The top has sprung a leak And the animals I've trapped Bobby
0: first of all, what a way to end an album. Yeah. And there isn't
2: really anything else on the record like this. But so, Cobain was playing this really softly and Butch Vig just like scrambled to quickly get the microphones. And he actually did record it with Cobain just like lying on his back on the couch or something. Uh, obviously, they, you know, recorded extra stuff afterwards. Like
0: Bruce Vig ran out of the parking lot, found the cellist, <laughs> yeah. brought him in. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and so this is the thing. So apparently Cobain's guitar is out of tune on it. And the, the cellist, Kirk Canning, found it really impossible to uh, to play along with it. And they had to do like multiple uh, takes to get the, the cello right. Uh, there's some great high vocals in the chorus from Cobain harmonizing with himself. There's a video on YouTube where you can see uh, Butch Vig isolating just that bit. And I had I'd never heard Kurt singing that high if it wasn't like a just a, a guttural scream. I don't know, man. It's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. That line stuck with me. Uh, all the animals I've trapped have all become my pets. There's an amazing, bizarre like juxtaposition of, of images in this. And it's, it's another one of their songs where you, I couldn't tell you what it's about, but it's about right. something, and it makes me feel something.
0: I mean, he used to keep box turtles in a bathtub in his house in Aberdeen, in Olympia. So which, you're
2: saying that, so oh, you're ruining it now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think it's really beautiful. I think it's probably the most beautiful song on the record.
0: i agree that's why i'm nominating it for the mixtape see here's the funny thing though is i usually go sentimental ballady yeah and now dave's taking my thunder it's a new year (laughs) uh, (laughs) all right caitlin what's your pick
1: well now i want to i want you to talk about yours because you just said that you usually go that way
0: so i'll leave you with okay uh, i can 100 percent do mine so i'm picking a song that I just adore it. This is the first song I listen to whenever I play this album. It's also got probably one of my favorite covers of all time by my man Sturgill Simpson.
1: Yes.
0: And um, it's in bloom, which is just, man, this song has so much subjective meaning to me because, you know, he, they wrote this when they were still in Olympia in the late 80s, and my sister was hardcore into that scene, so she used to take me to shows when I was a kid, and I know exactly sort of, I feel like I know what he's talking about when, like, it's a whole bunch of, like, guys who'd go to these bars to get drunk, and then they'd play over in the corner, and they'd kind of rock out to their music, but they had, like, no connection to the punk scene, but they all had guns in their trucks <laughs> and they all, you know, went out hunting and they all went out fishing and they all wore, you know, camouflage caps. And it's that sort of thing where it's like, he's really reacting. I feel to Olympia okay. in this song. And again, 100% subjectivity from me. Sure but it just I takes totally me home
1: i totally echo that i mean i think that's even why to us sturgill's cover has so much resonance because he gets what it's about it's, i wasn't in olympia but the town that i grew up in it was the same idea like this guy was a guy that i knew like we knew who he was there was more than one and i think just seeing him in song form is just like a gut punch every time
0: yes yes and Unfortunately, we can't play the uh, beautiful Sturgill Simpson cover, but we will listen to a little bit of In Bloom. I mean, come on. Bad choice, Zach. (laughs) Bad choice. I mean, come on. Like, that song just hits so hard from the... And it's just growl on the drums just going just off oh, it, and the sound of just pure savage bass too
2: we haven't given Nova because props no. I feel but yeah great bass line
0: I was the best thing in um when I was in Seattle I was at the Hotel Max and they have all the uh, sub pop suites but when in the lobby my actual favorite thing is they have a uh, a Chris bass there that he gave to the hotel signed by him one of his uh, signature bases. I would have stolen that and I was just sort of standing there <laughs> drinking my, my free craft beer, just being like I think I can sneak this out of here
2: yeah. <laughs> you know it's a hotel you take stuff right You're dressing <laughs> yeah. guys I mean, the beer is free. The so, bases are free, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I feel like all of these songs have such amazing builds. And yeah, yeah so much of that can be credited to Grohl in, in a lot of ways.
0: Yeah. And the song, this the energy is immediate, does not stop. Admittedly, it does kind of feel like it's just chorus a little bit, like it's pre-chorus and chorus. Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm not being nice, but still, it's just you can't not sing along to this song.
2: Even with the irony of uh, he likes all our pretty songs, he likes to sing along, and you can't help but sing along.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> fucking genius. Yeah. And it's just for me, yeah. like, for the mixtape, it's that sort of song where it's like, if you're at a party and this comes on on a mixtape, everybody's fucking in on this song. Everybody. Yeah. You know, everybody's going to have their beer in the air. Everybody's going to sing it along. <laughs> It's a great fucking song that unites people.
1: It does. It, it does. Across America. But I will tell you when I make a mixtape, I like to personalize them to one person and feel like the songs are like talking to the person and that's sort of more what I had in mind when I was thinking about my pick. And also I think it's so funny cuz a little bit about the background of Come as You Are, which is my pick. Surprise. Um,
2: Nice segue there.
1: They thought that this was going to be the huge hit. This is the one that they were like, yeah, this is going to be it. Everyone's going to be into this one. And Smells Like Teen Spirit totally surprised them. They Mm -hmm. thought it was too heavy, I think, to Mm -hmm. cross over like it did. But Come As You Are was obviously overshadowed. I just think that even the intro, like, it is the type of song that it just makes you feel like you're okay. Like, you have someone on your side. Like, this person wants you as you are. Like, Come As You Are is like... He didn't invent it, but in some ways it felt like that's what he was saying to that group of people that were so diehard and possibly disenfranchised. Like they found a home. And this song, you know, I've spoken about how much this album reminds me of home, but feels like home to me. And that's the feeling I would try and give someone if I was making them a mixtape.
0: All right, let's listen to a little bit of Come As You Are. Oh, God damn it. That's a good song.
1: <laughs> My favorite. Yeah. I also love that I don't have a gun at the end. You know, obviously the metaphorical like, hey, I'm on your side or whatever. But also like the town I grew up in, like a lot of people had guns, almost everyone. Yeah. had. So yeah. even for him to be like differentiating himself in sort of a political way with that, I thought was interesting. Like another reason to be friends. Like we are on the same side on that level.
0: Uh, my wife, who's from England, and always blows her away when we go home because all of my family packs guns. They all have concealed yeah. carry. And, and it's just normal. And they're, no and one they're hunters Island and, and guns. they go to
1: the shooting range and it's just one of their activities. Like, yeah. People don't get that if they didn't grow up with it.
0: Right. And you're absolutely right in the fact that how important it is he's saying that in that Mm -hmm. setting in that wide of audience
1: oh wow yeah
0: it's just uh it's hard for me not to uh switch my vote but i don't know i don't know i still love in bloom so much
1: no in Bloom is a good pick
0: so something in the the way
2: something in the way man the vocal performance on that alone is so good look i love come as you are i love the chorus effect on the guitar but sounds awesome and it's it's an underused guitar effect
1: for sure Something in the way is a great, like, oh, I know more than you pick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Which is a uh, David, I know more than you pick Gordon pick. <laughs>
2: sure. I like, you know, we also have been kind of doing that. We have an obvious Nirvana tune already in the bank.
0: Yeah. We chose Heart Shape Box HeartShake on Box. utero. Yeah. yeah. But we haven't chosen very obvious picks for the other big albums. I mean, yeah, it's sort we, of.
2: We don't have Black Hole Sun. Amazingly. We don't have, we do have Man of the Box, don't we? Yeah. Okay.
0: Mm. And we have Black from 10. Right. But that's, <laughs> that's
2: pretty obvious.
0: Yeah. But that was also the fifth single off that album. So. <laughs> I don't know how we're going
2: to, how we're going to decide this. I don't know how
0: either, because I'm so adamant because I, I think I'm, I'm definitely being swayed by Sturgill within Bloom as well, because I listen to that. I listen to that album almost daily. Yeah. Of his, mm-hmm. my kids love it. I love it. It's just one of those things that I can just always put on, yeah, and feel good, and everybody's gonna be happy. So it's right right now, really, in my mind, and whenever that cover comes on, yeah. it's always a gateway to then listen to Nirvana afterward, so I
2: think trying to be objective, I think Caitlin made actually the only decent argument for <laughs> her pick. I think <laughs> our arguments were pretty weak,, uh, <laughs> and she had all this stuff about home You're and just everything, still living yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Basically, been taken to school on that one. Look, I am I'm easy. So both "In Bloom" and also "Come as You Are" are great songs that I love. So
0: so you're willing to give up your vote, basically. On I'm not saying I'm willing uh, to give up my no, vote. No, not I'm just, your vote. I mean, on uh, something in the way and go behind one of us.
2: I mean, how else are we gonna?
0: Like, what are we gonna do? <laughs> Caitlin's not here to arm wrestle with us. <laughs> She'd probably kick all our asses as she did in the commentary. <laughs>
1: But it's your mixtape
0: guys it is our mixtape right that's but true the points made are so good that i don't know i don't know what to do man
2: yeah I, i'm throwing my way behind caitlin she had a good argument that's stuff about home and everything so
0: that's two yeah. on one yeah that's yes! it caitlin you have one come as you are is so, going to be on my seattle mixtape yeah your t-shirt's in the post i also whatever.
1: think i'm right so <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay you're right that's great yeah Come As You Are is going to be on there. David, take us home.
2: Uh, so that was our Nirvana's Nevermind episode of my Seattle Mixtape. Thanks a bunch to Caitlin White for joining us and for choosing the awesome Come As You Are my Seattle Mixtape is edited by Adrian Shepherd, And if you enjoyed the episode, please consider giving us a review on iTunes or whatever place you get your podcasts. You can also leave us a tip in our PayPal tip jar on mymixtapepodcast.rocks, or you can sign up to our Patreon as of this episode uh, if you want to support the podcast on a regular basis. You can follow us on Instagram at My Seattle mixtape or on Twitter at c mixtape zach what are you
0: on twitter i'm ztp underscore johnston okay you can find dave on curious fox uh whatever and then caitlin where can we find you
1: i'm on twitter at harmonicate and i'm usually there sharing my opinions about music so you can definitely check those out there
2: great
0: awesome all right goodbye everybody we'll We're see you here. next time
2: Bye.
1: bye